Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 43 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are in the world right now listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now we are finishing the week in a big way with Scottish Swimming Hall of Famer, three-time Olympian for Team GB, World Championship medalist and two-time Com Games gold medalist, Miss Caitlin McClatchy. I spoke to Caitlin just last night and discussed her current role as a part of Team GB, her incredible family history of being elite swimmers, her amazing career herself spending over 10 years in the pool, and all of the learning experiences along the way. And of course, the highlights such as 2006 Com Games in Melbourne and getting two gold medals there, as well as the home games in 2012 in London, and so much more. So given that it's Friday, grab yourself a drink, kids, make it a water, maybe a few snacks as well. Put your feet up because my chat with Team GB and Scottish legend, Caitlin McClatchy, starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. But the signature of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps is bullets. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe, Thorpe to the hall, Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me tonight on the show is a Scottish swimming legend. She's a three-time Olympian representing Team GB. She's a five-time world championship medalist and a two-time Com Games gold medalist. And two years ago, she was inducted into the Scottish Swimming Hall of Fame. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Caitlin McClatchy. Caitlin, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Robbie. How are you doing? I am very, very good. Now, people don't know this, but we actually just spoke for about half an hour before we even started. So I feel like we're, we're ready and raring to go. Um, a first question that I always ask sort of the legends that come on and given the times that we're, we're in at the moment with the pandemic, how would you have gone? Do you think if you were still in the pool, you were still an athlete, you were still swimming, how would you have gone with all the uncertainty around, you know, competitions and things like that? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really difficult one because... I'd like to say that I would be, you know, super calm, cool and collected. But I think inside I'd be a little bit nervous and kind of worried. But actually, for me, um, I I quite enjoyed the time out of the pool when I was an athlete anyway. Um, And I was often getting like niggles and injuries. So I think I probably would have tried to focus on um, really kind of working on shoulder stability exercises and things that I couldn't necessarily focus on a lot when I was doing full time pool training. Mm. Uh, and, and tried to work on that. But, you know, I say that now, but actually if I was still an athlete, I'd probably be yeah, losing my head a, a little bit. But yeah. I guess it's just one of those things you just can't control what's going on. You just got to focus on what you can do. So, um, yeah, it, it must be quite challenging for those athletes competing. But I think using it as an opportunity to kind of develop yourself, not only physically in terms of kind of out of the pool stuff, but mentally as well and dual career paths are so important as as well and finding out what what your hobbies are away from the pool i think it's you know it's it's presented like a nice different opportunity as well 
Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there too. Even for myself with the podcast, I looked at it and I thought, okay, I've coached now for 20 years. This is basically a pigeonholed myself. I've, I've built a career around, you know, knowing one thing and, and knowing, you know, that well, but the one thing, if tomorrow the pools were closed forever and swimming couldn't happen again, what, what would I do? And obviously um, I've been fortunate enough to get stuck into the podcast and get to talk to, to legends like yourself. But I think you bring up an interesting point that it is, uh, important to look outside of those things and, and make sure you have an eye on, you know, what else you could be getting into as well. Definitely. I think it's, I think it's really important to kind of have something away from, from swimming, right. Cause it's, it can be really intense. It's, you kind of get that tunnel vision um, and you just kind of focus on your own performance and things like that. But actually having something away from the pool, I think is, is a really good thing as well. And, some coaches and some athletes may see it as a distraction, but I, I think it's personally, I think it's beneficial having something, you know, if, if things aren't going, going well in the pool, you've got something else that you can enjoy or take your mind off things. So for me, I think um, being able to use an opportunity where you're actually not able to get in the pool to kind of find out what you enjoy doing, um, I, I think is, can only be a, a good thing out of the really difficult kind of awful things that are going on at the moment. Mm. Now that map of the world behind you, what do you use that for? Do you map out where you, obviously we can't travel around too much at the moment, but what, I'm just interested. That's not a thing I've gotten written down, but I just keep looking at the map thinking, you know, where is she going here? Are those dots up there places she's headed to? What, what do you use that map for? Yeah. So the map behind me actually takes up the whole entire wall. Um, and uh, my partner is Liam Tancock and uh, a, a fellow uh, Olympian and swimmer. So um, we've traveled, been able to travel the world through our sport mainly. I mean, I never really went on holiday when I was younger. I'd go to France, which is the country next to the UK, like all the time. And we never went, I never went on an airplane until I started, started swimming. So um, we now kind of put dots on all of the places that we visited, color coded as well. So like swimming's blue, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then red dots for like holidays that, it's just nice to kind of look at the world map and be like, wow, we've, we've been to some amazing places and each dot represents an amazing memory um, as well. But yeah, the, the dots definitely haven't really filled up this year at all. So <laughs> hopefully next year, fingers crossed. Well, absolutely. I've, you've actually inspired me because we've traveled a little bit myself and my wife and I've traveled a little bit on my own as well. But yeah, I think it would be good to look up and just go, oh yeah, we did go there and we did go there. And um, I know you've been doing still a little bit of tra- uh, traveling. Did you get in a caravan or something or drove around not long ago? And I think not long after I spoke to Liam, he was about, you guys were about to go on a little trip away. Yeah. So we've got actually got a VW um, camper van. So um, we got it a couple of years ago. Actually, when we were still swimming, we would um, hire one out. A friend um, has a, a kind of a, a business um, car, uh, car company business. So we used to rent them out when we were still swimming and go off on kind of adventures. Um, so yeah, we've, we've got our own now. And um, that was one of the things that we retired. We really wanted to have our own kind of um, camper van. So yeah, we've, we've been able to kind of go off and do what we call staycations in the UK. So various different locations. Um, my family live up in Scotland. So we've gone and done a bit of Scotland. We've gone and done a bit of the West Country, which is the south of the UK and, and done kind of where Liam's from. So it's been really nice to just kind of get out and, 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 and do, try and get some sort of sense of, of normality during all of this. 
Well, absolutely. Especially with both, you know, being so busy, it's probably good to just get away sometimes, right? And just, you know, I don't know if you keep the phones on, but to certainly put them away and not use them as much and just, you know, get off the grid. Yeah, no, that is a really important element is, is yeah, t- turning phones off. I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult. Um, Liam has a, a, a business which is Swimsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a, as a small business, there's always lots going on. So it's quite difficult for him to go off grid. But we, we try and do it when we can and just have that, you know, mental escapism to just like detach from the world and just really like enjoy the moment. Um, so yeah, it's a really important element when we kind of go away and, and do do our holidays. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. You have actually um, inspired my wife. She mentioned well, after I, you know, said that you guys were in the caravan camper van thing and driving around. She's like, "That's actually a really good idea." She's like, "We should do that. We should put." I'm like, "Okay, all right. I'm not against it, but it just wasn't on the radar until you know we heard that you guys were doing it." She's like, "That's actually, especially now we can't fly anywhere." She's like, how good would it be just to get in and, and get around? So thank you for that. Now I'm, I'm up for, a, a, you know, a 10 to 20 grand just to get this thing. But I'm sure it'll be good fun once we get out and about. Now, let's get stuck into your, uh, your swimming career, man. Now, growing up in Scotland, it's obviously not known for its warm weather. It's not known for, like, I t- speak to people on the Gold Coast and they're like, oh, I had to get into the pool because it was really warm. So obviously, you know, you know, you weren't getting in because you were too hot. But I also noted that both mum and dad, so Louise and, and John represented Scotland at the Com Games and your uncle Alan won a medal at the Olympic Games also. So were you kind of always destined to, to get in the pool, do you think? Um, no, actually. So my parents were pretty hands-off. And I didn't even realise they swam until kind of when I was older. They never kind of said to me, oh, you know, we used to swim. They never got their medals out. They never did anything like that. So I didn't even know. It wasn't until someone told me that they swam that I realised that they'd been, you know, international swimmers. My uncle had won an Olympic medal in Montreal in 76. So, yeah, um, I actually, my passion was running. So that for me was what I wanted to do. I watched um, the Olympics with Michael Johnson. I just he was my hero so I was I really wanted to get into running um so I tried that for a bit when I was growing up and yeah wasn't the best so and actually it was very fair weathered because in the summer we would be on a track outdoors loving it enjoying it the minute the winter rolled in I was like this is not for me it's cold it's wet <laughs> it's miserable so um yeah pretty much was like what sport do you do indoors um in the UK okay swimming that sounds good so um, I did learn to swim at a very young age. You know, my, her- my parents did instill in me that swimming is a, is, is a life-saving sport. You need, you need to know it to be able to go and, you know, be safe in the water and be confident is really important. So um, I did learn to swim at a very young age. And, um, yeah, I loved being in the water. I knew those kind of elements. Um, but, yeah, it probably wasn't – I came into swimming quite late. I probably didn't start until I was about 11 years old, um, swim training. And because of that, I was pretty much the oldest in my group by about three years. So I was 11 swimming with like a bunch of eight-year-olds. So it's pretty demoralizing and demotivating when eight-year-olds are beating you in the pool. Um, but it actually, that just inspired me and spurred me on and motivated me to try and you know move up the, the, the squad system to try and get to the top group where everyone my age was. Um, so hopefully that, I think that helps, I guess, kind of keep that fire and motivation in me, trying to, trying to move on up. What sort of a 11-year-old swimmer were you? Were you at the front? Obviously, you were the oldest. So were you at the front? Were you in the middle? Were you loud? Were you quiet? What, what sort of a swimmer were you at a junior level? Um, that's 
a good question. I think I definitely wasn't at the front. <laughs> um, the eight-year-olds were at the front and <laughs> lapping me, which was really great, fun. Um, but I think I was just like, people used to say um, I was kind of quietly confident or I would just quietly kind of get on in the background and, um, you know, move up the results sheets and rankings and things. And people would be like, oh, oh, Caitlin, I didn't realise you'd just done a really good swim. You just didn't, I didn't really shout about it. I just kind of quietly got on with things and kind of really wanted to improve myself and I didn't really shout about things so um yeah I think I was probably quite a quiet quiet swimmer quietly confident and, and quietly extremely competitive as well mm. bit of a dark horse bit of under the radar you just flew under the radar <laughs> yeah I did yeah yeah I think, I, I think that's fair to say I was I don't think anyone was expecting me to ever become a, a swimmer probably other than my parents when I got involved in the sport mm. um, and myself did you have any heroes growing up I noted you know we're around the same age so obviously we you know we loved swimming around that same era did you have any heroes that you looked up to yeah my biggest hero was Ian Thorpe um just watching Ian Thorpe swimmer it was just it just looked I was like, how can someone swim that effortless, effortlessly and be so fast? Mm. So watching Ian Thought Swim, he was a massive inspiration to me. Um, so I, I knew when I kind of watched his races that that's what I wanted to do and that's what I wanted to become when I was older. So he was probably, for me, the, the biggest inspiration. I probably should say my parents, that's really bad. But no, yeah, I think Ian Thought was, was probably the, the biggest inspiration for me growing up. Mm. For a lot of people, man, there's a moment, it could be, you know, a trainer could be at a meet, could be anywhere, but there's usually a moment where they realize that the goals that they've been setting for themselves in terms of, you know, those big major meets are becoming a lot more attainable and are very close. Was there a moment for you where everything clicked and you're like, right, I, I really am on the right track here and it's actually not that far ahead of me to, to make a, a, you know, a Scottish team or a Team GB? Yeah, it, was, it actually was the first time I made the Scottish youth team. Um, I was like just kind of 14, 15, and um, I qualified for my first um, Scottish youth team. And for me, that was like kind of a signal in my mind to think, oh, my God, I actually could be good at this. I'm on progression. You know, my goal and dream was to go to the Olympic Games. Um, and actually, that was part of the stepping stone to get to the Games. So once I qualified for the youth team, I was like so made up that, oh my God, I'm on a path to, you know, this is something that I could be good at. Um, and it was funny at the same time, I remember making that youth team and being so elated. And then I came back to school the next week and I think I'd been at a competition, I'd been at nationals and I hadn't done my homework. And I remember one of my teachers turning to me just going, you know, I made, I made some excuse, which was like, oh, I was at a swimming competition, I couldn't do my homework. And she's like, where is this going to get you in life? You know, you, may, you might as well just quit. Like what, you know, what are you actually doing with your life? Um, so that was kind of like actually a really big motivator for me. I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and she did actually subsequently apologize. Like once I made the Olympics, she was like, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't actually realize like, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good. So um, that, that was a big thing for me. But actually the, the following year I had my GCSE exams, um, you know, big kind of school exams that are, are really part of, you know, going on to university um, and I failed to qualify for, for the Scottish youth team by 0.08 of a second. I went into nationals, I was done the 200 free, I touched the wall, I looked up at the scoreboard and I like my, my, the blood just drained from my face because I realised I hadn't hit the qualifying time to make the youth team for the following year. 
And I went over to the coaches, the selectors, and I, I was like basically on my hands and knees saying, please, please, can you just let me come on this team? This is a part of my identity. This is me building to go to the Olympic Games. And they were like, we have times and, and selection criteria for a reason. You know, you're not, you're not eligible. You, you didn't make the team, basically. Mm. We let you on. We've got to let everyone else on that didn't make the times. And I was absolutely gutted. And I remember a coach coming over to me, um, Robbie Rennick's coach, Eileen Adams. She was one of the Scottish coaches. And she said, you know, this could absolutely break you. You could go away from this and never want to swim again. Or this could be the making of you. This is the, this is the moment in your time in, in life that you can think, you know what, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to work even harder to get there. Um, so those words really resonated with me and stuck with me. So I went back to my home program. I changed loads of things and I, and I did more time in the pool. Um, and you know, the following year I made the British youth team, which was, which was a, a bigger stepping stone. So, um, yeah, it was a really kind of key moment for me. I think if, if I probably just made the youth team, then, then that would have been great, but actually not making it really inspired me and motivated me to think this is what I want to do with my life. As a junior athlete coming through and going through those sort of experiences, how important were your mum and dad through that and, and having the family around? Obviously, they've been through their ups and downs, and no doubt, you know, they've been through, you know, the highs and the lows. So how important was it having those, you know, um, family members around to help you and, and sort of lift you up and give you guidance through that? Yeah, it was super important. And, um, you know, my mum and dad were really supportive of me. Um, there, there were times though that they never turned up to my training sessions and I did remember once saying to them you know every other parent is on the side of the pool some of them were stopwatches which is a bit too intense but I was mm -hmm. like literally every other parent bar you guys so can you come and watch me train and they were like oh we've been through this before we don't need to watch you train you know when you make the games and stuff you know that's when we'll come and support you but actually that hands-off approach was quite nice they mm -hmm. weren't too intense um, they just let me get on with things they were really um they were really keen that I had a life outside of swimming as well because they felt that that supported them when they were athletes so they were huge um supporters for me and you know my my dad used to get up every morning with me to take me early morning training um and I remember one I think once I learned to drive uh he was like you know now you can drive you you know you just you just go I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm hands off now mm. it's up to you so um, yeah, it was really, uh, yeah, they were super supportive and I definitely couldn't have done what I've done without them. It's funny you mentioned that. That's something that Susie O'Neill mentioned as well about her parents where that, you know, definitely they were very supportive and facilitated, you know, getting her to the pool or getting her to a meet or whatever it might've been. But they certainly, as you said, weren't there with a stopwatch. They weren't coming in and checking with the coach that everything was on track and that everyone was, you know, they trusted in the process. They trusted, you know, Susie to just go ahead and do what she was going to do. And obviously, you know, you, but you both went on to, to do pretty well. So I think there's definitely something in that if there's parents out there listening that, and listening to that going oh maybe i'm that one that's with the stopwatch just saying you can put it down it's okay there's coaches that have them <laughs> as well um <laughs> now 2004 uh, i think you were 19 were you 19 at, at your first olympics uh, i was actually 18 so yeah my birthday's right at the end of the year so i was yeah 18 when i qualified for my first olympic games which was really unexpected um i i, I mean my coach says, you know, I knew, I knew you were going to qualify. My parents were like, yeah, I knew you were going to do it. I don't think I knew I was going to do it. I, I went in <laughs> to the Olympic trials um, and 
was definitely definitely i was you know you have like the underdog i was probably below the underdog um in terms of like being able to qualify for that team and i remember walking out to the final of the 200 freestyle and i was surrounded by you know people that have been to the world championships they've won european world medals they've been to multiple olympic games and and there was kind of little me and literally i was tiny compared to everyone else i'm pretty i was pretty small um and I, and I kind of dived in and started swimming. And I, I was really surprised that I was keeping up with them. And I was like, you know, any minute now, they're probably just going to, you know, put the burners on and just go. And um, they didn't. And I touched the wall and I came forth. So automatically qualified for the four by two. And I just literally couldn't believe it. And some of those athletes were like, sorry, who are you? you know, <laughs> never heard of you. Like totally off the radar. So uh, it was a, an amazing moment. And my family were there as well. My extended family, so my uncle and my cousins were there watching so it was a really nice moment um and my dream then I was like I'm going to go to the Olympic Games this is, I'm going to be able to live my dream so um yeah it was an, a really amazing amazing moment in terms of the experience itself at Athens um I can assume being 18 you can either go one or two ways you can kind of be there's no pressure and you can just appreciate the moment for what it is or you can get a bit overawed by the experience how was it for you at your first you know Olympic Games at 18 I mean I wasn't even bloody doing anything at 18 let alone going to an Olympic so I can imagine what sort of a moment it was it was a really surreal experience. So I had never, ever competed at a senior international event before. So I'd never even gone to European juniors. I'd never gone to Youth Olympics. So it was literally like you gala me on a Sunday afternoon and Olympic trials to the Olympic Games. So it was As you do. pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> yes, you do. So it was pretty mind-blowing going to that competition as my first senior international. Um but I just absolutely loved it. I went in with such an open mind because I hadn't experienced anything before. I had literally nothing to compare it to um, other than your Sunday afternoon gala. But um, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. I'm watching my heroes like Ian Thorpe racing um, and being with the British team. It was just a really uh, incredible experience and it definitely cemented to me, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to not just be at the games. I want to fight for podium positions um, so, you know, I kind of thought I reassessed my goals and I was like, you know, I want to be on that podium and I want to, I want to get, you know, international medals. Glad you said that. It's segue into the next thing, which is, you know, over the next few years, you have a great run internationally. I think there's a medal in 2005 at the world champs and an amazing performance in Australia in 2006, which I'll get to in a minute, but with, you know, the success you were having in the pool, what was going on so right for you? Do you think in training or in your preparations, you know, to, to have that, you know, sort of breakout few years, no doubt 2004, obviously we made, you know, Athens, but you, you know, you made as a part of the, the relay team, which don't get me wrong. It's still a great, you know, achievement, but now, you know, you're doing stuff on your own, you're getting up on the podium. So what was going so right for you over those next few years, do you think in training and, you know, in your preparation outside of it? So after the Athens in 2004, I moved to Loughborough University um, to study a study degree in politics, but also because they had the best sort of the best training facilities in the UK at the time. They had a 50 meter pool and a fantastic gym facility. So for me, that was where I saw myself being able to kind of take the next step in my career. Um, so I moved to that program and I was coached by a coach called Ben Titley, who's coached some fantastic athletes, including um, Liam Tancock, James Gibson, Mel Marshall, who now coaches Adam Peaty. 
So there was a, a real amazing caliber of athletes who were part of that swimming program. And actually just being around those, those athletes just helped me to raise my game. Uh, I pushed harder than I ever did before. I had some real great competitors to, to train with and there was no disrespect to my home program, but you know, every time I was in my home program, I would get in with the boys because I, I just had to have someone that I was always trying to chase. Um, so having those athletes around me day to day and, and kind of learning from them and both physically watching them in the pool, but also how they conducted themselves mentally was, was a really great opportunity for me. So I think that really helped me to kind of get to the next level. And pretty quickly after moving to, to Loughborough, I, I went to the world in 05 and, um, and went on the, um, and podiumed on the, in the 400 free um, a, a, along the likes of, of Law Manadou, you know, some of the real stars of the sport. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a great moment for me, and I just wanted to kind of build on, on that and become, you know, cemented as an individual swimmer, not just a, a relay a relay swimmer. Not not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, yeah. yeah, I really wanted to individually get on that podium. Well, Com Games 2006, two gold medals in the 400 and in the 200, and beating Aussie favourite and one of my favourite swimmers of all time in Libby Trickett. How do you look back on that experience at those games? Because as we said, you know, it's such a breakout moment. That's a moment where you're up on there singing the national anthem, which I'll get to in a moment. I want to know what sort of a national anthem singer you are. Do you mime it or do you belt it out? But we'll get to that in a minute. What, what sort of, uh, you know, when you look back on that experience, you've got to be pretty proud of that. Yeah, I, it was a really, it's probably one of my favourite um, ever kind of swimming experiences. Um, that for me, I, I mean, it was amazing going to the Olympics, but I, I remember my coach saying, oh, you've done it all, you've been to Athens, you've been to the Olympic Games. And I said, no, but I've never been to a Commonwealth Games, I've never represented Scotland. That's something that I really want to do. Um, and actually six months out from the Commonwealth Games, I was, I just got the I just got a bronze medal in the 400 free. I was like, this is brilliant. I'm so excited. I, I uh, pre-qualified for the Commonwealth Games through the Scottish Swimming Criteria. Um, and I went to the World Uni Games like a few weeks after. And um, I was kind of getting ready for my first event, which was a four by one. And as I went out to the, re to the race, I fell over. And um, like in front of literally a stadium full of 5,000 people, it was just so embarrassing. Just I just went tripped over a signpost. And absolutely decked it on on poolside um and the physio came rushing over checked out my arm was like you're absolutely fine you know to swim and I thought no I just really don't feel good went into the warm-up pool and basically couldn't swim mm. uh, had to get fished out by the lifeguard and uh, got taken to hospital and found out I'd broken my arm so I'd broken my elbow joint who is that physio? Months. We need to we need to we need to discuss that physio for a second. So you've broken your arm. Yeah, no, mate, you're good as gold. Get in there. Where you go, you'll be right. No, you better broken arm. What a bloody knucklehead. But anyway, sorry, I digress. I just couldn't help myself. But that's the old days, really, isn't it? Like walk it off. Don't worry, you'll be right. Keep going. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm not, I'm not, that's, I don't want to be mean to that physio. I mean, I, I, I try and put on a brave face and I was like, you know, I'm good. And, and he was probably prodding it and being like, does this hurt? And I'm like, it's fine. Like literally like dying inside. But because it was a relay event as well, I was like, I'm going to let the whole team down. Yeah. You know, who are they going to put in? And they managed to put in like a distance swimmer. Bless her, she went in, in instead of me. But yeah, it was a really difficult moment. And actually the doctor said, you know, if you'd, you know, broken it another millimeter up your elbow, you probably wouldn't be able to swim again. So it was quite a difficult kind of injury. I had like a massive arm cast on, so I get I couldn't get in the water for weeks. Um, 
so I think I think for my preparation for Com Games, I was just like, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened. Um, so I had to go back to the drawing board and essentially relearn my swimming technique again. Um, and I was kind of um, known for, for being quite a good kicker, um, like kick with the board. So I just basically, that's all I could do was just kicking, kicking, kicking. Um, so yeah, my kick times were, were, were like paying down so much. And I think that was a real kind of strength going into the Commonwealth Games is that my, I, I knew that my kick was so strong. Um, but yeah, I was like, at this stage, you know, six months out with a broken arm, I'm, I'm not even going to go to the Commonwealth Games, let alone win a gold medal. Um, but I guess going in, it was quite nice in a way that the pressure was sort of off me because I sort of thought, well, you know, anything's a bonus at this point. Um, and then going into the 200 freestyle, which was the first event of the Commonwealth Games, and, you know, Australia is just incredible. You know, they're an amazing sporting nation. It, the, the, there was not an empty seat in that stadium. And it, the atmosphere was just electric going out. And I remember walking out for the final of the 203 and um, getting behind my block. And, you know, they do the kind of announcement and you, you raise your hand or whatever you do when people say your name. And I was next to Livy. And, the, you know, the stadium just erupted when they mentioned her name. And then it came to me, just said, oh, Caitlin McClatchy from Scotland. Literally, like, three people in the crowd cheered. I was just like, oh, oh my gosh, this is, uh, I felt a bit deflated at that moment. But, um, yeah, it was an incredible race. And, uh, yeah, I, to, to, to get the gold medal um, in that event, for me, was just a, a brilliant moment. And, and being the first event of the Commonwealth Games, it really set up Scottish swimming it was actually our best performance to this day in the pool. We got six, came away from that game with six gold medals. Um, so I'd, I'd hope that it kind of inspired others to, to believe that they could beat the Australians, which is something that obviously, you know, the Aussies are one of the greatest swimming nations in the world. So to, to do that was, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty special moment. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because quite often in terms of world swimming, the Com Games probably doesn't get the accolades it deserves. And at times, let's be honest, the, 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 you know, the standard overall probably isn't quite as high. But you just mentioned a name there who was synonymous with world swimming and being one of the best in the world in Libby Trickett. So there's no doubt when you win gold at the Com Games and you beat Libby, that's not you know, just you doing it because it's, a, it's an average field. Like you're, you're beating one of the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there were other really notable athletes in that event as well. Linda McKenzie, she, she'd won a gold medal, I think in 2001 or one of the, in, or maybe in three in the world championships in the 203. So there were some amazing athletes in that field. It was, it was, it was one of, it was a really stacked event. You know, Me Melanie Marshall, who was world leading in 2004, she'd done the fastest time for the 203. So actually there, there were some really amazing competitors in that race. So and obviously Libby being kind of world leading, world number one at that point. Um, so yeah, it was, it was the final sort of 50 meters. It was a, a three-way tie between myself, Libby and Mel. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, you know, this is where, if I'm ever going to bring in this, this leg kick that I've been working on for six months, this is where it's coming into play. So I literally just like kicked as hard as I possibly can, um, put my head down and just just hoped and prayed and touched the wall and I didn't know at that point if I'd won until I looked at the scoreboard and the scoreboard was literally miles away I could barely see it and to see my name with number one next to it was yeah an, an incredible moment and to hear to hear the Aussie crowd kind of being like quite quiet um apart from three people kind of being like way cheering on the side was just yeah really but yeah and 
it was just I just felt like it was just incredible and, and actually like the Aussie crowd were brilliant and they cheered and and, and yeah I just absolutely loved it there was there was uh, yeah one of my favorite moments I mentioned before the national anthem you got the opportunity to stand up there and and you know belt it out proudly what do you do when you sing the national anthem because I know for myself Obviously, I've never been on a dais, but you know, when you're in a, a stadium and everyone's singing a national anthem, usually if you look around, there's people who are singing it as if it's their voice that's actually being heard by everyone. So they're really getting into it. And then there's the people who are just pretending and they're actually not making any sound. What sort of a national anthem singer are you? Um, well, actually, that, for that event, for that Comedy Games, we had kind of two anthems for Scotland. So we've got Scotland the Brave, um which was our which was our anthem at the time which kind of i don't think has any words so it was it's quite an upbeat anthem and this is why i love the australian crowd they were like chanting and clapping because it's quite a you know upbeat anthem mm -hmm. so i wasn't doing anything i wasn't I, I was like has this got any words i don't even know but people were like getting to their feet and actually stamping and cheering and actually some one of the swimmers brother um had um, a set of bagpipes so he started piping in the crowd alongside the national anthem on the bagpipes. So it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was just such, it felt like a kind of a party atmosphere. It was brilliant. And then doing the walk around the pool, um, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was just great. So yeah, I feel, I feel pretty bad. I need to check if actually that anthem does have any words, but I definitely didn't sing it. <laughs> well, I can't help you at all. I'm not aware of it. So did you, <coughs> pardon me, did you get to hang around in Australia much after that? Did you get to, uh, you know, get around and, and see things or did you have to get straight out? Um, I, we did do, we did kind of have a, a bit of a, a, a kind of tour, not tour of Australia, but we, we, we kind of spent a bit of time in Melbourne and then we went up to the Gold Coast because we actually all then flew out to um, Shanghai for the World Short Course. So we went up to the Gold Coast and did a kind of preparation camp um, following um, the Commie Games. Um, so it was really nice. And actually, it was quite nice being in Australia following that Games because it just seemed like the whole nation got behind it. And it was interesting to see some of like the press articles <laughs> coming out after that Games. I think one newspaper report in Australia said, I looked more like I should um, be working at Covent Garden Circus than swimming in the pool. So I was like, oh, okay, fair play. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was uh, quite interesting. But yeah, I just, yeah, I, I love Australia. I, I've always said to, to Lee and my partner, if, if we could move anywhere in the world, it would be Australia. It, it's just, it's just great. They just love their sport. And um, yeah, it was nice to, to, to take some, a little bit of time to kind of go around Melbourne and then go up to the Gold Coast for our preparation camp for World Short Course in Shanghai. So we managed to do a bit of it, which was really great. Well, mate, and now as the case is with a lot of the legends that I have here on the podcast, if I went through everything that you've achieved and your accomplishments, we'll be here all night. As I said, we already spoke half an hour before we started and, and no doubt this, this conversation is going to keep going on and on as well because, you know, we, we both just enjoy chatting and you've accomplished so much. But also I want to get to a, a moment where I want to pick your brain around performance uh, psychology because I know you studied that. Uh, at university. So what I'm going to do is I'll mention a few major meets uh, where you competed at and did quite well. And you sort of give me any stories or, you know, what you, you know, recollect from that meet. Um, and yeah, as I said, any stories around it that come to your mind. So first one I'll talk about is 2007 world champs in Melbourne. Um, disappointment. So coming from the high of 06 commies, 
and picking up a European medal the same year as well. Going into 07, I, I had it was flu season and I got quite quite ill with the flu before we flew out um, to our preparation camp. And I thought I'd, I'd got back on track. I thought I was I was okay. But as I went through the rounds, like heat semis, and then into the final of the 203, I, I literally just ran out of energy. I had nothing left to give. Um, and yeah, I just was super disappointed. And I was in the lane next to Laura Manadou and she broke the world record. Um, and it was just, it was a great moment for the sport. Obviously, you know, having a world record breaking and, and it, it just amazing being in that race. But at the same time, I just was so disappointed with my performance that I just couldn't keep up and couldn't be in that field and couldn't be in contention. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, and, I, and I came away from that meet and, and going in obviously the year before an Olympic Games in 08, I was just super disappointed and trying to reassess and think, you know, I didn't want to make excuses for myself, but I, I just thought, you know, I've, I've got to do something different here because obviously things just haven't gone right this season. I'm just getting ill constantly and I need to kind of, I don't know, just go back to the drawing board and see how I can mentally recover from this. So I think mentally I took quite a bit of a hammering after that event. Um, and I found it quite difficult to kind of get back on track afterwards. Well, rather than getting away from it, let's touch on that. Let's go into it a little bit deeper because there's a lot of swimmers out there that go through illnesses or, um, you know, glandular fever. There's a lot of things that happen that swimmers, you know, have to take breaks out of the pool. How did you go after that? And how did you go about rebuilding yourself? Because no doubt you went on to have success and have a long career. It's not as if that defined you or ended you. You, you, you know, you got over the top of it. You, you moved on. How did you do that? What did you sort of, you know, put in place in terms of steps to move past it? Yeah, so we came back and I was I was kind of really beating myself up mentally and, and you know, just reanalyzing every single element of what could I've done better, what could I do better next time, to the point it was getting quite detrimental. So I just thought instead of having all these negative kind of things in my head, I need to kind of change the negatives into positives. So I tried um, you know, a psychology element of self-talk and and kind of converting negative feelings, emotions, talk into more positive phrases. So I was really trying that in my mind to kind of help with that and not beating myself up mentally. Um, and also it's where I kind of had started adopting visualization techniques as well to kind of really hone my craft and, and get into kind of a mental place of calm being like, well, I've been, I've done this race before. I've, I've been through it in my mind. So, and I know some of the best athletes in the world use that use visualization technique really really effectively so for me in 07 that's when I tried to start experimenting with some of those kind of um, mental kind of skill building uh, things well I was going to say I think uh, was it around 2006 that you and Liam sort of started you know your relationship I don't know maybe it was before that but I was going to say you've got somebody that's pretty positive uh, around you at that stage so no doubt he would have been able to help in terms of that as well and give you you know little ideas Yes, uh, Liam was super supportive. Yeah, we started, we actually started going out at the, at the Melbourne Commonwealth Games. Um, so yeah, he was, he's an amazing athlete and um, really positive mindset. And I know he's been on the podcast before and, and talked a lot about that. Um, so I was, you know, learning from him. And, and one of the things that I like to do is try and learn from others and, and look at what other people are doing and being like, okay, you're the best in that, at what you're doing. How can I like learn from you and hone my own craft? And yeah, Liam's positive mindset. I mean, to be that chipper and like chirpy at five in the morning, six in the morning, he would always come in with like a big smile on his face and other people were just looking really glum. 
I was like this you know I need to be like more like this I need to be more kind of carefree easy and not getting so intense about you know what I'm what I'm doing and why and, and focusing on swimming I need to just be a bit more kind of just relaxed I guess mm. I need to look into that as well. I need at least two coffees before I'm bouncing around in the morning on pool deck, that's for sure. If I didn't have my coffees, I don't think I would be uh, as enthusiastic and energetic. So I'll, I'll need to text him and get some tips. What about 2008 Olympics in Beijing? Um, that was a really kind of bitter, sweet moment again for me. It's, um, individually, I found the best kind of a 200 freestyle race I had. A, I went under the 157 barrier, went 156 in the heats. Um, I probably hadn't quite got my head around the whole, like, which is going to be the same in Tokyo, the, the morning finals and the evening heats. So the heats often were like the fastest because they were in the evening. Um, so I kind of came away with a, with a PB in that event. I, I, I was sick, but, you know, I was disappointed that I didn't get on the podium um, but I knew that the kind of my biggest medal chance was going to be in the four by 200 freestyle relay. Um, and it was the same day in, as the 400, as the 200 free final, because the heats were that evening. Um, and I was, they decided to rest me and Rebecca Adlington, um, and the team failed to qualify for the final. And I was just sat, I remember Becky and I were sat in the village watching it on TV and we were just both in floods of tears because, you know, that was, well, for me, I know Becky obviously did an amazing in that uh, Olympic Games, but for me, that was kind of the best chance that I had a, of a medal. And then I know Australia won that race and I, I definitely think we could have been up there. I, I mean, I don't know if we'd have been, probably wouldn't have, have um, challenged Australia for the gold, but we, we certainly would have probably been kind of silver bronze levels. So it was a real, yeah, it was a real kind of bittersweet moment for me kind of doing well individually, but um, not actually being able to kind of get an Olympic medal, which is what I'd kind of dreamed of for so long. Um, so it was hard coming back from Beijing. Um, and I decided to move training programs because I just thought, you know, I, I can't, I can't kind of continue what I'm doing anymore. I need to do something different. I need to have something a bit fresher mm. um, and, and just kind of get away from the demons that were like Beijing and, uh, and 07 as well. Well, let's get to 09 then world champs in Rome. What about that one? Yeah, it was great. I loved, I loved um, world, the World Champs in 09. I, I don't think I was one of the ones that really benefited from the Super Suit era. Um, I'm, I'm pretty slight and petite, so or I was back then, maybe not anymore. Um, so the Super Suits didn't do too much for me. I kind of improved a little bit on my times, but, but not by much. Um, and then we went and did the, the 4x2 freestyle relay, um, and we, we came away with a bronze medal. We, we set a European record at that event and being on the podium with, you know, three other people that are my very good friends to this day was just an, an amazing experience. So, um, and then to, to obviously to watch Liam win the 50 backstroke in a world record breaking time. Uh, yeah, it was a great meet. I loved it. Rome uh, pool was uh, unbelievable. Like absolutely loved there to kind of race. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Really good memories. 2010 com games in delhi oh gosh i don't even know how to <laughs> i don't even know what to say about that one. Oh, that was just horrendous um yeah probably if i thought i thought 07 was bad it was about to get a whole another another level of awful um yeah i i didn't qualify for the final of the 200 free um it was just it was just not good um 
and you know every everyone was kind of complaining about being being ill and you know I, I was ill there but I, I didn't see that as a good enough excuse for my performances so then again moved training programs and went and swam in the Loughborough University program because I was kind of coming to the end of my degree in politics and I really wanted to focus in on finishing that and doing that to the best of my ability and, and that gave, gave me that really nice balance of being able to kind of do my degree but also um, kind of train with some really great elite athletes and a great coach in Ian Armager who set up a fantastic program at Loughborough University um, so for me I, I just found the, the love of the sport again so um, it was a really a really good move and um, yeah it was it and I finally got my degree finished after six years so <laughs> that was a bonus as well well, mate, there's no doubt that uh, a massive milestone for you was getting to your third Olympic Games in 2012. What was it like having, you know, somewhat of a home Games? And obviously, you're Scottish, but Team GB, so it's definitely a home Games there in London. Were you prepared for the hype and the atmosphere that was going to be around those Games? I know talking to, to Becky, she was saying, like, people were taking photos of them while they were training. She's like, what are you taking photos for? Like, we're just training. There's nothing exciting going on over here. Or, you know, had you already been to two so you know this was sort of something you you had a good fairly you know fairly good grip on yeah I mean I guess I've been to an Olympics before but I don't think anything really prepared me for a home Olympic Games and I do remember kind of the build-up to London and I thought you know people are, are quite excited about this but there was also kind of a lot of negative press as well about how Londoners were annoyed that it was going to impact their day-to-day -day lives so it was really interesting because I thought it was just going to be this huge, massive kind of swell of excitement going in. But there was a bit of negativity, actually, from kind of the press and, and from some general public members. But I'd probably say I saw a sea change about two months to go. And suddenly everyone just got so excited and everything really hyped up. Um, and a lot more interest was paid, obviously, in those athletes that are then qualified and were selected for Team GB. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was incredible to go to a home Olympic Games. I feel very fortunate that I've had that opportunity in my lifetime to compete at a home Olympic Games. Like not many people can can do that. And um, yeah, it was just it, it was it, it was amazing when you kind of went out on the street and you had your accreditation on, you had your Team GB kit on. People would stop you and ask for photos. And normally that you know is only only medalists ever get that attention. But just anyone that was part of TGB people were so excited and just wanted a piece of you essentially and just kind of wanted to get to, to be associated with you so it was it was really exciting and what I loved was that how many people kind of got involved in sport off the back of that um, and young kids were like looking up to people instead of looking up to footballers because football is the biggest sport in the UK they were looking up to kind of athletes and sports that don't always get that recognition and don't get the limelight that often so it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And actually having the crowd of, you know, 17,000 people in the swimming pool actually cheering for you mm. was a really nice change. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved it, really. It was a great experience. Results-wise, I mean, you finaled in the 200 and the girls with the relay as well. How do you look back on your results at London? Yeah, my results, I wish, I wish I'd done better, but I you know, it was, I, I did the best that I could do it at that time. And I, I would love to try to kind of push for podiums, but um, I, I just, ha I only have kind of really fond memories of, of looking back at, at those. But yeah, I think results wise, I wanted to be better. Obviously being an athlete, you want to always do to, to, to strive for the best. But um, 
yeah I just I, I, I yeah I just loved it and being part of something so special and for Team GB that was like our best medal performance in, in total um, across uh, Olympic Games for a very long time so um, to be a part of that whole team not just swimming was was uh, was great. Mm. Well, we, you know, we, we were very fortunate ourselves to have a home games here in Sydney, which is something I think we still all talk about um, and say that it's the best games ever. We're probably biased, but that's just how we say it. But, you know, uh, you know, to your point, I think swimming um, benefited from that for a very long time, but probably not so much now. And now, you know, we need to, you know, recreate that sort of buzz. But for a long time, um, you know, as I said to your point, the Olympics sort of created this buzz around the sport that ordinarily in our country to go to footy players or cricketers or, or people like that. Yeah, definitely. And it was really nice to see. And part of kind of after the aftermath of the Games, I did a lot of school visits, going in to see young pupils, and talking about my story and talking about the Olympic Games. And it was just so great to see so many young kids really inspired by that Olympic Games. Uh, and that's what they wanted to do now. They wanted to be gymnasts. They wanted to be swimmers. Um, they didn't want to be footballers. And they didn't look to, you know, reality TV stars, which were huge, are huge and still huge at the time. So it was, yeah, it was just great to feel like you were part of that. Uh, and, and, and that was a really special, a really special moment. Now, I am very interested in performance psychology and learning about it. And that's sort of what, you know, one of the reasons I started the podcast was to try and learn from the best and what makes the great ones tick. You certainly were, were that in the pool. And then you went on to do, you know, a master's in that. Uh, you took it that step further. So I want to quickly have a chat now about and pick your brain a little bit around, you know, what you learned firstly through experiences and then obviously with the master's. Firstly, you know, with your experience in the pool and your studies, what are some of the main differences between, you know, being good at something as opposed to being, you know, the best at something? And I, we could be talking now about business. We could be talking about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be about sports. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, I think, because there's so many athletes and you think they're, they're really great in training, but they never quite make it to that next level. They never quite, you know, what they're doing in training convert it into competition. And I do think the mental side of sport is so important. And people talk about some sports being more important mentally than they are physically. Um, and that was something that really interested me. And that's why I kind of got into, into performance psychology in my master's, because I kind of thought, you know, this is super interesting. And I know it's something that I've definitely kind of gone through with having disappointment and being in a real mental kind of, um, in a mental hole. And actually that, that non-self-belief has probably led to that as well so the, one of the most important elements I think of what from what I kind of studied and what I, I kind of had experienced was that if you don't believe in yourself you know then quite often you, you will never achieve um what you want to do because you have to have kind of ultimate belief I think in what you're trying to do um so important and then having a goal that's kind of attainable but you, you know that really stretches you as well um is, is super important so learning about those things and, and then kind of analysing what some of the best athletes in, in the world do, you know, Ian, Ian Thorpe, Michael Phelps, um, you know, Kathy Freeman in Sydney in 2000, you know, so much pressure going into that final um, and just having that kind of quiet confidence and self-belief is, is super, super important. So um, learning about that and, and looking at those other athletes is really interesting to me. Can the greatness and that champion mindset and those champions you just mentioned, can that be taught 
do you think? Or is that something you either kind of have or you don't? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I think some people just intrinsically have that kind of champion mindset. But I do think you can, there are elements of it you can teach. And you can certainly teach things like visualization techniques and, and self-talk and, and, and those sorts of elements that can help to kind of what, you know, have a quiet mind and, and kind of focus your attention on what you're doing and you're not overanalyzing everything. I definitely, I definitely think that you can teach that. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of the great athletes, I, I, I think they've got this, just this internal self-belief and, and champion mindset that they probably haven't learned. Um, but interestingly, most athletes um, will always say that they've had a moment in their time where they've, things haven't gone right. And that has been a defining moment for them where they've realized everything they do and that resilience is so, so important in order for them to be at the best. Um, you know, Michael Phelps hasn't always won every single competition he's been in. He's had setbacks as well. And I think learning from those, using setbacks as learning opportunities and really kind of focusing how you look at those setbacks, I think is what a true champion does really, really well. I'm glad you mentioned that. What are some of the keys to helping switch the mindset up? You talk about yourself in 2007. You know, if you're having a bad session, a bad week, a bad meet, certainly some of those meets, I know for, you know, for us here in Australia with age group champs and stuff like that, it's like a five, six day meet. Some of the kids have so much of like a massive program. If they start off having a few bad swims, what are some sort of keys do you think in sort of switching up that mindset to go, okay, well, that was bad, but you know, that doesn't mean the rest of the week has to be that way. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because it's easy for me to say, you know, don't dwell on the previous, you know, performance, don't carry that into your next performance or your next competition or your next event. But I think sometimes things that helped me was kind of keeping a, a, not a diary, but almost like a kind of what have I done well this week and really focusing on kind of key things that I thought, well, I've done this really well. So I think sometimes a, a negative thought can be so powerful and override some of the really good stuff you've done. So almost having that reminder of, okay, what have I done that's really good? What am I really proud of? What can I take from that event, which actually there's something that I really worked on really well, like my turns were good, my start was good. You know, where other things didn't quite work out, what are, what's the good you can look at from that? And, and how can you kind of strive to be better? Don't dwell on the, just the, the negative elements. Look at the positives and, how, and, look, and the negative elements, what can you kind of build on for next time? Um, because I think it's so easy to just just get into that real mental kind of hole of like, oh, I didn't do very well. I'm probably not going to do well in my next event. But, you know, really just look at the, the positives that you can take away from an event and don't try and carry that into the, the next event. Look at it as a fresh. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is a challenging one. It's, and it's easy for me to say that now in hindsight. But there were times when I was in training and not having a good, you know, two weeks of training and, and, and carrying that into the next week. And um, yeah, I think something that I learned later in my career and developed was kind of having this kind of positive reminder and confidence, confidence booster of, of written statements that I felt this is what I'm doing really well at the moment. Mm, I think that's great advice uh, for any of the younger swimmers that are listening out there. Um, I think, yeah, perfect. 2014 home com games. So you've had the 2012 london olympics but you get a home com games which i've spoken to hannah miley i spoke to dan wallace and they've all said what an amazing experience that was to you know get to compete in front of their family and friends you know for you was that a special one for you as well i mean yeah it was special again the performances i could i wanted to do better at but it was so i just felt so 
kind of fortunate that I was, you know, able to go to a home Commonwealth Games and a home Olympics within kind of my lifetime of the sport. And I knew it was, I was coming to the end of my career. I, I, I was aware of that and I had niggling injuries. Um, so I kind of knew that I was, it was going to be a push for me to try and make the podium and stuff. But to just be there and again, to kind of soak up that atmosphere and seeing generations of young people being inspired by the performances of people like Dan Wallace um, and Hannah Miley and, 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 and things like that was just, was, was great. And it was, it was nice for me as being a kind of an older senior athlete to see the youngsters coming through and to see the next generation of, of athletes um, who then went on and did some really great things in Rio. So um, that, that, was a, that was nice for me as well. Hey, talk to me about retirement. How, how did that sort of come about? Where did you sort of get to in, in terms of your career and where you sort of think, okay, well, this is the point, this is it. And did you struggle, you know, after swimming? So much of the stories that, you know, you hear these days, are people struggle to find their identity. Like, who am I? You know, you had such a long career and a successful career that I can imagine, you know, once you stop waking up at 5 a.m. and you're not smelling like chlorine all the time, that might be hard to process as well. Although, nice not to smell like chlorine all the time, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice not to smell of chlorine for once. It actually takes quite a while to get that smell out of your <laughs> system as well. It's like kind of in, internal, internalized. And um, I felt retirement was was had its definite kind of pros and cons. Um, the identity piece is massive. I think you are known for being a swimmer, you know, through your friends and your family as well. You know, they, it's, it's almost like a bit of a grieving process, I guess that they followed your journey, you've been through that journey, and then suddenly you're not doing that anymore. And, and, it, and, it, and it is a really kind of quite a daunting, you know, going out into the big wide world. It, it can be quite daunting, especially if you don't really know what you want to do. And so many athletes kind of leave their, their thoughts on a, the next phase of their career path or their next kind of adventure until they come out of the sport. And you kind of think, okay, well, hopefully my successes or hopefully things will propel me into something. But actually, if you don't know what you want to do, that is a really difficult place to be. And I think for me, I came out of, you know, I'd done, I'd done two degrees. And I think I thought I was just going to walk into a job. I was going to instantly know what I wanted to do. And I was going to walk into a job off the back of two degrees. Definitely not the case. Um, I took a lot of time working out what I wanted to do. Where was my passion? What did I enjoy? I, I did I did loads of different things. I kind of um, worked in the House of Lords in, in Parliament in the UK for a bit, and because I thought I wanted to go into politics, um, I did stuff with some some charities over here with sport, and that was super rewarding. So I knew that kind of sport was what I wanted to stay in. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of a long road to kind of working out what I wanted to do, and and like. As an athlete, I thought, well, I'm going to have to go back to the very beginning again and kind of rebuild myself and, and work out what I want to do. Um, so, so that's kind of what I did do. And, but I can see for so many athletes that I know that that is quite a, a difficult thing to do is, is coming out, you kind of lose your identity, so to speak, and then finding what your new passion and what your new drive and motivation is. It's definitely daunting politics where where did that one come from because you're way too nice and genuine and not you don't seem very shifty so i don't know how where, where did that come from apologies to all the politicians out there that are listening to the podcast <laughs> um i just really enjoyed history and i really enjoyed kind of politics and actually 
sport has quite a lot of politics in it anyway. Um, it's probably more so in, in terms of kind of like things that go on behind the scenes. You're like, whoa, okay. Um, so that stuff just really interested me. Um, and that's why I wanted to go into kind of into politics. So, uh, and, and when I came out of the sport, I thought, okay, I, I, I want to go into politics. I don't, I don't want to just be known as an athlete in, in sport. I want to go and do something different. Um, but actually, the more I kind of tried to push against wanting to go into some kind of sporting job, the more I actually thought that's probably something that I'd quite enjoy. Um, so dabbled in the politics side and then thought, probably not for me. I want to go back into kind of sports stuff. Well, mate, two years ago, you were inducted into the Scottish Swimming Hall of Fame. That must have been a pretty big honour for you. Obviously, no doubt it's befitting. As I said, three, you know, three Olympic Games and, and such a great career, but still a big moment for you. Yeah, it was really a really proud moment. My uncle had been inducted in um, winning a, a medal at the Montreal Olympic Games. So it, it was really nice to kind of carry on that kind of family um, line of, of being um, in, the, in the Scottish Swimming Hall of Fame. And, and it was a nice moment as well, because when you come out of sport, I think something that I probably didn't do enough of when I was an athlete was once I'd done well at something, I'd always on to the next thing and the next thing. And I didn't take the time to kind of really like stop, stand and kind of kind of absorb everything that was going on. So coming out and then, you know, not really doing much in terms of anything sport related other than going to my local swimming pool and going up and down a few times and just comparing myself constantly to when I was an elite athlete. It was nice to then have that moment of kind of really taking a big reflective look on my career um, and actually, you know, being inducted into the into the Hall of Fame, I could actually enjoy that moment rather than just going, okay, I'm on to the next thing now. Um, so yeah, it was a really a really proud moment, and I was in a room full of kind of with my peers um, and coaches, and um, when I got the award, so yeah, it was it was a very proud um, moment. I felt very feel very honoured to be um, in that Hall of Fame alongside the you know sporting greats different time too wasn't it mate you got to as you said be in the room if it was this year you'd have to do it via bloody zoom or something and it would just be like everyone like this and it just i mean sure it's a great moment still but obviously you got to you know as you said share it with so many people in the room so anyway just a little bit out there i just as i was thinking about it like just if it happened this year like how many i do feel bad for people who you know um, receiving awards this year or finishing school and things like that where so many of those big moments are almost taken away from them a little bit yeah I mean who'd have thought you would take for granted being in a pool or being in a room with other people I never thought I would ever take that for you know I, I never thought there'd be a time where that wouldn't happen I completely took it for granted so I so feel for those people and you know young young kids that are leaving are like moving on to from primary to secondary school or or going on from secondary school onto university there's so man, many key milestones where you want to go up to your friends and just kind of reminisce on the happy memories when you're having to do it all virtually it's really tough you gotta hug them and now you can't hug people you gotta touch each other's elbows just super weird and uh, anyway, <laughs> i don't even like doing that i just think i'd rather do nothing than do that it's just i'd rather just nod my head and, and move on um <laughs> mate talk to me about what you're doing these days you work with team gb we sort of touched on it before we started what you know what are you doing with the team and and how much do you enjoy still being around that sort of environment yeah i love it so yeah i'm working now with um team gb and kind of focused on the our tokyo project um so there was a lot of you know once the news of the postponement um was, was made there was a lot of kind of 
going back to the drawing board and replanning some of the things for next year. Um, and it's great. I, up until the point of the postponement, I've been going out to sports and, and, and talking with athletes and preparing them for the Olympic Games environment. You know, many were first time athletes. So they had, you know, kind of no idea like I was when I was at my first games. I had no idea of what the environment would look like. So kind of talking about that and also showing them, you know, what the village will look like in Tokyo and, and different elements like that. Um, that was yeah I, re I really enjoy doing that and, and now it's probably going to have to be a bit more virtually and we're going to have to think creatively at how we do that with athletes now but um, yeah it's something that has been great to kind of bring my experience of, of going to three Olympics into kind of now going out to athletes and what's been really nice is seeing other sports and, and seeing how they operate and I think if I had my time again in swimming I would definitely try and take more learnings from other sports and what they're doing. There's some like nice little creative things that they do in their training or with their kind of mental preparation. I just think oh, sometimes I felt in swimming, I was in such a bubble and I didn't look out at other sports. And now seeing that, I just think there's so much learning that could have been taken from other, from others in other sports, you know, both athletes and coaches. Um, so yeah, it's been a really, really nice element to kind of now be, you know, on, in the background helping athletes perform at their at their best is 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 something that i really enjoy without a doubt mate team gb is in a pretty good place at the moment from an outsider's perspective that is and i do get to talk to some of the athletes here on the podcast you you know you're involved in in the team as well so you get a good view in terms of what's going on and where it's all tracking how excited are you for tokyo 2021 um, you know, given the wealth of talent that's coming through, I spoke to Duncan Scott the other day. I'm fingers crossed going to be able to speak to Adam Peaty in a few days' time if uh, if the baby you know is all going well and everything's going good with his trip over to Turkey. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, James Guy, like it's just a, a really good, strong team at the moment from an outsider looking in. Is that the way you see it? Do you see you know next year's Olympics, you know, all going well, being a really positive one for Team GB? Yeah, I think it's. I think it it could be it can be really positive games, and you know, um, at the previous World Championships, the British team in the pool did fantastically well, some brilliant results. Um, you know, so I think they were just kind of building on their successes from Rio. So I just think it it it, it can be a great games next year, and it's quite a nice narrative to think that for all athletes, you know, whether they're from the UK, Australia, America, that you know there hasn't really ever been a games like this before really mm. you know this is going to be the first time coming back from a global pandemic you know that games has had to be postponed it's been cancelled but I don't think it's ever been postponed before so to be a part of that is amazing in itself um you know and the eyes of the world will be fixed on Tokyo more than an Olympic Games more than they ever have before so I think it's it, it's, it's yeah you should feel kind of like excited and feel that there's going to be something that you're going to be a part of that's super special. But yeah, I definitely think from, from a British team perspective, you know, we're going from strength to strength in the pool and I'm, I'm really excited to see how it goes next year and, and kind of be there in the environment and, and cheering on all of the athletes. It's a fine line, isn't it? I, and I guess for me being on the podcast, I, I don't want to say I'm in the media, but I'm a form of media as such. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of discuss things off air that I won't get into now. But, I, you know, in terms of the media hype, the media pressure, I know Ian Thorpe has come out and said that we should never have a medal prediction in terms of what Australia should be going to get. And certainly London, you know, fell flat on its face for us. Let's be honest. Here in Australia, it didn't, get, it didn't turn out very well. And we're predicted to, you know, 
know, we had all of these, um, you know, nicknames for all of our superstars and it just didn't eventuate. Is it a fine line in terms of the media, you know, building it up? You know, I said, looking forward to Team GB doing well, and I genuinely do feel that way. But there's a fine line between saying that and saying, oh, to be honest, you know, Adam should have a few gold here and this should be that and this should be that. And then all of a sudden, what looks as praise becomes a whole heap of pressure. Yeah, and I think um, I think it, 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 it is definitely that way at most games. Is that you know what's the medal tally going to be at the end? You know how many medals are we going to get in this? Um, and it, you know a lot of things, the media and other things are kind of based on medal success at our games. But I feel like for Tokyo now next year, it's definitely less about the medals, and it's just about watching great athletes compete against each other. You know, actually, again, that like whole taking it for granted piece. You know that the media and the general public have sort of taken for granted that they can watch live sporting events in person or on TV. So I think for next year, it's, it's just going to be, everyone's going to be so excited. They can actually watch a major, major sporting event, global sporting event. And I feel like it's going to be less about the medals and, and more about just like this appreciation for sport being able to take place. Absolutely. I think it's going to be an unprecedented Olympic Games, one that um, hopefully we don't have to go through again because hopefully we don't have to have this this whole happen again. But yeah, as you said, uh, to your point, I think um, yeah, everyone, the, all eyes will be on there, that's for sure. Now, as you know, because uh, you've listened to Liam's one, and hopefully you've listened to a few others, and I like to finish with a few less serious questions that you know get us to get a bit of an insight into what you like at home and out of work and out away from swimming. So, um, you know, what first thing that pops to your head, you throw the answer straight back to me. And I will say no judgment, even though this morning I interviewed a young age group swimmer, and I actually, for the first time ever, judged his... Um, choice of music that he listened to and I felt really bad I actually had to apologize after it it's the first time ever he, he threw it out and I was like are you joking are you serious that's what are you on about and actually anyway so I promise this time no judgment so favorite music to listen to oh, that is a difficult question because I listen to like all genres of music um, you know maybe death metal is probably the least listened to genre that I would no disrespect to those death metal lovers out there. My old coach was in a is in a death metal band, um, but probably that is the least listened to music genre. But I just, I, yeah, I just love all music. I just think, um, yeah, I just it, it depends what mood I'm in as well. I mean, if I want to chill out, I'm not going to listen to some like hardcore house music. I'm going to, you know, drum and bass. I'm going to listen to something quite relaxing. So, sorry, it's a pretty rubbish answer, but kind of I like all genres of music. No, I definitely agree with you. I think the other day I very much surprised my swimmers. Um, I was in the mood for a little bit more um, rap and R&B stuff, which I don't always listen to. But as you said, whatever you're in the mood to. And anyway, I put on um, a song and they were all like, you listen to this song? And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, because I'm old, I don't listen to this song. Like, So yeah, as I said, to your point, you know, whatever you're in the mood for, I think that's hundred percent the way. What about favorite movies? I won't say one, but what sort of movies do you like to watch? What are your favorites? Oh my gosh, again, another probably uh, question depends what mood I'm in. I think the one movie that I always religiously watch at Christmas, again, please don't judge, is um, Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Those are like every Christmas, I will watch that movie that always gets me into the holiday spirit. So I think I don't know if I'd say it's my favourite movie of all time, but that definitely gets me into the Christmas mood. But 
you know, I like those movies that just make you feel really motivated and inspired, you know, Coach Carter's, things like that, that you just feel like, oh, I want to get back into sport. I want to feel, you know, super motivated after watching those. I think those are kind of my favourite genres of movies. Now, in terms of watching movies with Liam, is there one where he puts it on, you're like, no, mate, I'm not watching this, or vice versa, <laughs> you put it on, and he's like, listen, I'm going to go do some work. Um, you let me know when this movie's over. Yeah, there's, there are some. I mean, he sometimes does have a questionable movie choice or, or just maybe gets confused with what he's like. This, I watched this great movie the other day. It's like brilliant. Let's watch it. And I watch it and just like look at him being like, is, was, this, was this the great movie? Was like, oh, you know, that wasn't the right one. It was a different <laughs> one. It was a different one. I was like, okay, well, we've watched that. Um, but no, generally he's got pretty good taste. In, in movie choices so and one of the things that's come out of this lockdown period um, has been that we've actually been able to have more time to sit down and actually watch films which has been really nice mm. and watch things that we wouldn't normally watch so and, and, and you know through Netflix watch TV series that we wouldn't normally watch so that's been quite a nice part of like the, the lockdown period. That is absolutely the worst when you say to someone, oh, I really want to watch this great movie the other day. You've got to watch it. And they're like, yeah, 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 okay. They go watch it. And then the next day they're like, that movie, you said it was great? Yeah, it was. It was great. Well, I didn't think it was. It's so, it's so deflating because you're so pumped up that you, you found this hidden gem that no one else is talking about. And then turns out that you're just a weirdo that likes a weird movie and no one else really likes it. <laughs> What about uh, favorite meal of all time? So, what what do you if you let's say you're on death row and you had your last meal? What would it, what would you go for? Um, such a similar answer, but I'd probably say spaghetti bolognese. It's that's that's the one I think I, because if I was on if I was on death row, oh God, forbid, <laughs> I would probably be wanting to kind of reminisce of some happy memory time. Mm. So, something like a spaghetti bolognese always reminds me of coming back from training having you know something that I can eat that's quick and easy so I'd probably say something like that I, I'm quite I'm quite a foodie but you know I'd probably go for something quite boring like like a spaghetti spaghetti bolognese yeah just to reminisce while you're throwing it down reminisce of smelling like chlorine um <laughs> you know given your map behind you what are some of your favorite countries that you visited um australia is definitely um one of my favorite countries um some of the other amazing countries have been canada and um uh, bali really love bali as well um quite a lot of um asia i've done did kind of once i finished swimming we did a bit of traveling and i did some traveling around asia and just absolutely kind of loved going to places like hong kong bali borneo was amazing seeing the orangutans so those are some of kind of my favorite favorite countries, but I, I think I think Australia probably has you know is is probably my favorite of all time place I've ever been to. I must and admit, I'm I'm, yeah, no, no, it's all right. You're not the first one that said it, and I I must admit, and you know, obviously I'm biased, but I, I've I've done some traveling, mostly in Europe, and been to places, and I love Rome, and there's certain places that I love. But I think I would always live here. I don't think I would ever. I love to visit those places. I'd probably stay there for a month or so. But yeah, I don't think you can beat living in Australia. Everything that you get everywhere else in the world, you can have here in Australia without needing to go anywhere. So I feel like we are pretty fortunate. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, favorite quote? Are you, are you someone who, you know, um, takes quotes to heart and lives by them? Have you got any favorite ones for us? 
Um, I probably don't have any favourite quotes, but I, I kind of like inspirational speeches that people do. And I, I do, I kind of do get hyped up and, and motivated by those, um, those kind of speeches that are just really kind of, you know, just think, wow, there's just this raw emotion that comes through and, and you feel so inspired. Um, so I'd never really adorned the walls with kind of like pictures of quotes or anything like that. Um, just watching others and learning from others and listening to kind of speeches or, you know, media interviews were things that kind of really inspired and motivated me. Did you hear any, you know, big speeches in terms of being on the team? Was there any coaches who, you know, just blew you away? Like, wow, I'm, I'm ready to go now. Or even it might've been, you know, team captains or athletes within the team. Um, probably not so much. I mean, you know, there were some, some coaches that spoke so, so well, but sometimes the best kind of moments were when you wouldn't even have to say anything. It was just like the emotion on people's faces or the reaction to something that you would see and, and you just it just summed up the whole experience um you know when you've been when you're at a major a games and you know things have gone well things haven't gone well and and, and someone just puts an arm around you and saying everything's going to be okay for me that's you know it can mean so much more than just someone kind of talking at me saying you'll be fine da, da, da. so yeah I think sometimes actions do speak louder than words but I don't think there was a particular speech that I felt really kind of motivated on the team but we all just had this sense of kind of getting behind each other and, uh, and um, that, that in itself was really powerful. Now, when you and Liam come out to Australia next, and I've already teed this up, by the way, with him, so, and I'm heading to the bar to get you guys a drink. What drink will I be getting you from the bar while I'm up there? So I, I love red, red wine. I really like, I like a rich kind of deep full-bodied red wine. But I think my drink of choice at the moment is like a gin and tonic. I don't know if it's a big drink in Australia, but in Scotland, there are so many different gin producers that create like these infused gins with like raspberry and the elderflower stuff. And, you know, that, I mean, I never thought when I was younger, I'd like gin. I was think thought it was a bit of an old person's drink. But it's definitely got a revival now and it's massive in Scotland and across the UK. So I'd probably say a gin and tonic if, if it's big in Australia. Mate, you're, hey, you're ordering it. I'll get anything you like. Oh, as long as you know at a certain point of the night, there will be tequila shots. Just so you know, the, te <laughs> the tequila shots do come out a little bit later. Um, for me, it'll be whiskey. I'm always having a, a Jack Daniels and Coke or a, a wild turkey. Um, Finally, and this is a, an interesting question that I always um, look forward to hearing the answer from, because especially from you guys as legends uh, and the careers that you've had, what do you want your legacy, legacy sorry, in our sport to be? When, when your name is spoken about in terms of teams and the coaches are talking about the swimming legends that have you know, come through the Scottish team and Team GB and they're mentioning your name, how do you want to be remembered as an athlete? Oh, yeah, no, legacy is such, is such a big thing. And it's actually something that we're looking at at Team GB, you know, getting athletes to really think about what legacy do they want to leave in Tokyo. And I guess it's something that I, I kind of never really thought about when I was an athlete enough. What did I want to do? You know, what, how did I want to be known or thought of following a games? But I think, um, I think I want my legacy to be someone that, you know, um, hopefully inspired others that was motivated, always tried their best um, and really kind of felt passionately about the sport and wanting to support others. I think 
that is something that I really want to do is, is, is help and support, you know, the next generation of athletes coming through from my experiences. So, um, yeah, that would be a pretty cool legacy to leave behind that I was able to inspire other people. Well, no doubt, mate, you've, you did that and you continue to do that with your great work with Team GB to today. So, um, you know, as I said, definitely kicking goals there. This is a great chance to, to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I know you're busy as you, you just had a, a meeting not long before. And, and obviously we were supposed to do this two weeks ago and my daughter was sick that day. And I just thought, oh, you know luckily enough you you're a legend and you were happy enough to to put it off so thank you very much it's been my honor mate to go through your career um you're a champion in and out of the pool and there's no doubt going through your you know resume of everything that you achieved you get a great appreciation for everything you you know you did in the pool so thank you very much for your contribution to our sport it's been a pleasure as i said and thank you again for coming on off the block swimming podcast Thanks for having me, Robbie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Big week here on the show. Thank you to all our amazing guests, Maddie Goff, Caitlin McClatchy, and Alex Quash. You are all legends. Thank you very much for allowing me to spend some time chatting with you this week. Now, don't forget, as I said at the beginning of the show, next week is a massive week on the show. Superstars of Australian and World Swimming coming your way to finish the season off the way it should be, culminating in our 100th episode next Friday that is going to feature the biggest name in World Swimming right now, and I am buzzing to bring you that chat. Until then, though, guys, have a great weekend. Be good to your mum. Get outside and do something fun. And it's bye for now.